Hey guys, Eric Lindine here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. All right, good morning, church. Happy Sunday. My name is Ryan. I get to be one of the pastors here, and I just want to give you a warm welcome, and I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 17. Uh, that is where we're going to be camping out today. Uh, we are in a series going through uh, the book of Genesis, and you know, one of the beauties of following a book is that we have lots of different characters, and there's development over time, and so we're looking into Abraham this week, or Abram, uh, as Pastor Eric has been referring uh, to him. So Genesis 17, and I'll be referring to the text a lot this morning, so I want to invite you to just kind of follow along with me. I'm going to be referring to some of the verses there today. So smells trigger memories. I remember playing basketball as a young kid and in high school, and some games would go really well, and other ones wouldn't. You know, I remember going into the gym, and the reason I say smells is because I would go into the gym, and gyms just have a smell, you know what I mean? like an elementary gym or a high school gym. And I just, it's, it's a whole atmosphere. And I remember coming into it and, you know, I had a whole team. I played from like third to 12th grade. And uh, it was just a really interesting experience. And I remember uh, my coach and uh, my teammates, lots of different coaches. And, you know, some were really good, some were not so good. And, you know, by senior year, I was a little burnt out. And I was like, I'm gonna be good now. <laughs> I'm done playing basketball. Uh, but I played my whole life and it was really good. And as an athlete, it can be challenging to not be defined by your mistakes. We all make them. If you miss a shot, you keep shooting. In the words of Kobe Bryant, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. I remember getting hard on myself when I, and I wouldn't give myself grace. I would walk off the court and I would receive praise if I did well, but if I didn't do well, I wouldn't receive any praise at all. Interesting, right? It creates this performance-based love. If I do well, I receive love, and if not, right? You don't receive love. And there's this internal thing where you can feel in your heart, you can identify like, oh, I am just a failure. I am just a mistake. I remember I would feel bad about that. And, and there were also really good times, right? If I, you know, after games, you know, you'd receive praise. Oh, you did so good. You did amazing. And other times I wouldn't. And uh, I just remember it's such an up and down moment. I'm just at one point, I'm like, this is more pressure than it is fun. <laughs> and I just wanted to enjoy the game. But God is with me, and I believe in this season, God used it to form me into the person that I am today, and we are all being formed uh, continually. So we all want to change, from cleaning up the dishes, <laughs> to reading our Bibles, to not getting frustrated when you have to wait at the grocery store, the small things and the big things. And let's not start when the Wi-Fi is down and you forget to send that email, or the anger that arises when something doesn't go your way, or somebody doesn't align with what you want. When things don't go your way, anger can come in different, many, many different forms. Or the struggle might be for you is to be active and passive, letting everything happen to you versus taking steps. And now some say, why change? There's a song by Ben Rector I heard this week, and some of you might know who he is. He's an artist. He's pretty popular right now. And uh, he has a song that I thought is really interesting. And he says, the song's title is this, What Makes a Man? And in it, he reflects on what truly makes a person. And I think it's really interesting. I just heard that. 
And in it, he reflects on what truly defines a man or a woman and a person in general. And he writes this, quote, is it power, is it fame, is it money, is it just a game, is it always wanting more, or is it finding peace in what you had all along? Is it the things you've done or the places you've been chasing that dream you've always been imagining? You see, what makes a person is not what they have, but who they become. And in the song, he doesn't necessarily give the answer, but he's reflecting what truly makes a person. And he's asking questions. Is it power, money, fame? Is it the things we do or the things that we don't do? Is it, where is it? How, what defines a person? Is it their accolades or is it their relationships? And you see, it, it, we have to understand the true depth of a person is not found in the things they have, but the person that they become. When that person rejects you, when you don't get the job, when you feel like everyone else has the good life, when you scroll onto social media only to see everyone else's highlights, which makes you remind you of your lowlights. It's comparison. The comparison game is so real. And we can feel defined by what we don't have, right? We can either feel defined by what we do have in our life or we can feel defined by what we don't have. We can find our identity in the good things. And the flip side is that we can feel like our past defines us. Our mistakes speak to us daily. So the question is, how do we move forward? How do we actually step into being the people that God has called us to be? How do we do that? Where where do we go, right? Because so many things happen in our lives. And there's so many moments where good and bad and ugly, we all have stories. And stories and moments define life, right? Each one of you have a story and there are some parts in it that you are less than proud of and some of you have parts that you're really proud of. That's all of us. We all have that. So how do we become the people that God has called us to be? Today, we're gonna look at the life of Abraham close up and we're gonna see God's commitment to him and his covenant with him. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning and this chance to hear from your word. Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see what you wanna do because I believe that you wanna form us into people that are on fire for you, that have the love of God in our heart and that see the good, God. I believe that what we see matters, and so, Lord, help us to see the good within, and so we can see the good in in the world, and then eventually, Lord, you're calling us to bring an impact. Help us to be people of your presence and not just information from the word today. I pray that you transform us and make us into the people you want us to be, God. We avail ourselves to you, and I pray that today we would say yes, and you'd find a yielded heart. Lord, your word says that you look down and you look for people who are seeking you, and I pray that we could be those people today. We give you our yes today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So turn with me to Genesis 17. Uh, We're going to jump into verse 1. It says this, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to uh, to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. Wow. And I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to to you (laughs) and to your offspring after you. 
And we'll close in verse eight. And I will give to you your offspring after you, the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. This is God's word. So faith is ultimately a journey. In the life of Abraham, we see his faith waver and we see it succeed and he's kind of on this like, you know, kind of on this trajectory, right? He's going somewhere, but there's some ups and some downs. And last week, Pastor Eric talked about Genesis 16 and uh, where Abram and Sarai at the time, but now their names change. And the title of my sermon today is A New Name. And we're talking about identity. And so we see uh, they sleep, uh, Abraham sleeps with Hagar, the Egyptian slave, And it's, you know, they're trying to basically, what they're trying to do is take God's promise into their own hands, and they were trying to come, to to make something up because they felt they had a deficit. So they they were lacking something, and it's interesting, they tried to go about it, but now God shows up here in Genesis 17, interesting, right? They just made a mistake, but now God's reintroducing the covenant. And if we go back to Genesis 15, God introduced a covenant, but now in Genesis 17, this is the a next reinstatement of the covenant. We don't exactly know why there's a a reintroduction of this covenant, but what we do know is that it's reintroduced, but this time it's fuller and it's deeper and wider, and guess what? There's a name change. God uh, God is doing something. Things are changing. So this week we pick back up in 17 and jumping into verse one. It says Abraham was 99 years old. No big deal, right? 99, going strong. And life is happening, and, and just no big deal at all, right? 99. I, I just can't imagine where he was at. And God said, you're going to have a son. And he's 99 years old. Interesting, right? And God actually didn't ever say there's 13 years in between Genesis 15 and now we get to 17. So there's a lot of time in between the, these covenants. So imagine you put yourself in Abraham's shoes. God gave him a promise, and he's been waiting. He's like, he doesn't know anything. But now God extends, and he, he walks into it. Let's, let's look at what he says. But before we go there, you and I have a story. A story is oftentimes made up of events and defining moments. These moments are good, bad, and sometimes really ugly. And if we aren't careful, sometimes these moments in our lives can define us. It's either the mistakes of others or our own mistakes. We can let those define who we are, right? And sometimes if we don't, we might push this aside and say, yeah, I'm not defined by that. But really, deep down within our hearts, we're carrying around this label, this label that is not from God. Then God appears to him, and back to the text, and this is called a theophany. Uh, According to one commentator, this specific theophany focuses less on what God looks like, but more on what God says. You know, if you read through any of the Bible, there's elaborate descriptions of God. We have, you know, in Ezekiel, there's just like eyes all over the creatures, and you go to Revelation, and there's all these like descriptions, and I love those, but also we gotta remember it's about what he says. It's about what God actually says to Abraham. And what does he say? Let's look at verse one and two. Turn with me. Let's, I, I like getting our, our hearts into the text. Let's turn your eyes there. It says this, verse one, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him. This is the theophany I just mentioned. God appearing to somebody. This happens throughout the scripture. Isaiah has it. When Isaiah receives his calling, Right, Isaiah 6, woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, living in a people midst of unclean lips. And God cleanses his lips, calls him to be a prophet, sends him out. Jeremiah receives his calling from God. And God speaks over Jeremiah, right? There's so many moments where God reveals himself to people, redefines their identity, and then sends them out to do what he's called them to do. Look at what he says. 
I am God Almighty. He doesn't go into what the covenant is yet, but he says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Up until this point, the covenant has been God making promises to Abraham, but now he's calling Abraham to step into partnership, right? You can write a document for a business partnership, but until there's a, hand, a shaking of hands, this is, this is going beyond that into actual relationship. So it's two-sided now, right? Both parties are involved and there's expectations for both parties. And then God says this, walk before me, be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. God's heart is multiplication. Genesis 1, 2, 3, God's heart is to multiply and to fill the earth. He wants to bless. His, that's his heart. And I love this. Before God goes into the grandeur of the covenant, he begins with sharing his name. And that leads me to my first point today. If you are taking notes, you, you, you might write this down. This is point one. Knowing who God is serves as the foundation for following the plan that God has. So knowing who God is serves as the foundation for following the plan that God has. In Hebrew, this is the word El Shaddai, I am God Almighty. You, you guys heard of that? There's a really old worship song, El Shaddai. It's a really, you know, hill song, I think. And, you know, some of you might not know that song, but it's pretty popular. And this is old, but I think you hear the song, but what does it really mean? What does this word really mean? Well, the reality is that there's a lot of debate over the word, uh, but when boiled down, it means the all-sufficient one. The all-sufficient one. The sufficiency of God met the deficit of Abraham and Sarah. They had a deficit. Their age, you know, if you read Romans 4, it says that uh, Abraham looked at his own body and he's like, it's as good as dead. What am I going to do? I just think it's so funny the way it words it. Apostle Paul is talking about Abraham in this situation. We'll get into that in a little bit. So they have a deficit, but God reveals himself as sufficient. The key is not in Abraham and Sarah, but it's in God and it's in who God is. So God initiates the covenant with Abram. Right now, his name is Abram, but now his name changes. And the covenant is a partnership between two parties to what? Bring about good. The whole heart is to bring about good. And when it comes to knowing our identity, it all stems from knowing God's. God reveals himself to Abraham, and then out of that changes Abraham's name. God reveals himself, changes his name. He gives him a new identity, right? And name change signifies identity. And with this, he calls for a response and a commitment. Now let's look at what happens to Abraham as a response to his encounter with God. God calls him up, and now he's calling him into relationship, into partnership. He's calling us upward. The covenant is presented here, and there's more details than there was in 15. Now there's more. It's 13 years later. And the covenant is defined by commitment and partnership. Commitment on Abraham's side and God's faithfulness on the other. If you read in the letter of Timothy, it says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. That's a line that I just can't get out of my head as I read this story. If we are faithless, God remains faithful because he can't nullify his own character because he's perfect. That's God. And, and, and we have to know who we're dealing with, right? This is who we're working with right now in the text. God is revealing himself. So there are many elements uh, to this call into partnership. And we're gonna look at what they are. Uh, one of those elements are the new names that God gives Abraham and Sarah. And I want us to, to note this. This is my next point. Knowing our identity helps us step into our destiny. Knowing our identity helps us step into our destiny. God speaks a word over Abraham, and it's tied to what Abraham is called to do. 
God doesn't just tell him what he's gonna do, but he says his, your name is changing. Who you are is going from the father of many to the father of nations. It's beautiful. When it comes to our, our calling as followers of Jesus, knowing our identity is absolutely key if we want to move forward into what God has for us. Verse three says, then Abram fell on his face, total face plant before God. And God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram first, but now your name is Abraham. There's an A and an H added. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. So with the name change signifies an expansion of the covenant. We're getting into what this means. Bear with me. I'm going through some of the text. We're working through some of the background. So he fell on his face and he responds with reverence. Just like Isaiah. When Isaiah, you know, the whole book of Isaiah is a crazy big book. But God meets Isaiah and he's like, woe is me, Lord. I, I don't know what to do. I'm meeting God Almighty. Same thing. We see his heart. When he sees God, he, he falls and right here, his name changes a bit, and he adds an A-H. It's a small change, but it makes a big difference. This name change means a change in identity, because his identity is tied to his destiny. And in Hebrew, the word Yahweh has the letter H in it twice. The name change means a change in identity, and this, this letter H is small but significant. And the letter H is used twice in the name of God, so out of God's name, God speaks into Abraham's name. So God gives of himself and he breathes into him. I love that. The letter H is used twice and so he breathes into him and the names carry, it, carry with it the idea that the covenant is expanding, that this covenant that God has is expanding. So how many of you know that sometimes it's the small changes that lead to the biggest breakthrough? It's the little things added up over time. It's a shift in perspective so let's go back a little bit. The text says that he was 99 and God promised him a son. He was probably like, really, God? And then God looks down, yeah, really. It's gonna happen. Uh, so he reassures him. So he was old and then Sarah, whose name was Sarah at the time, or Sarai, changes to Sarah. So think about it. She said, hey, Abram, uh, we can't have a child. Uh, I have another option. So they go and try and do it in their own way. But look at what God does. God doesn't speak to her mistake. He changes her name and redefines. And if you go to the end of 17, if you keep reading, God's, you know, Abraham says, oh, that Ishmael may live before you. That's the son that came from the mistake. And God's like, I'll bless him, but I'm still gonna do what I said I was gonna do. I'm gonna bless Isaac, and that's who, I'm gonna fulfill the line, the lineage that I've called you to. So God is still faithful. God doesn't nullify his word, even though he made a mistake. So they try and take things into their own hands. And if we fast forward, we find ourselves in Genesis 17, after the mess of the mistress with Hagar, God comes to Abraham and redeems him and blesses him. And now we're here, he's reintroducing the covenant. And in spite of Abraham's mistake, God commits to him. And this is number three, if you're writing anything down today, I would, I would, I would write this down. Abraham was not defined by his failure, but he was defined by God's faithfulness. He was not defined by failure, but by God's faithfulness to him. The, the narrative of his life was made up of God's faithfulness and stepping into the narrative of his story. So the great highlight that we ought to draw is not centered on Abraham and Sarah, but on God's faithfulness to them in the midst of their wavering. God's name for Abraham was a change in identity. He spoke to who he was, not the mistake he made. 
God doesn't just see us in the mess, but he redeems us out of the mess. Genesis 16, you are the God who sees, but now in Genesis 17, God doesn't leave it there, but what God does is reintroduces the very thing that he promised, and he's gonna fulfill it. So Abraham wasn't the only one whose name changed. Sarai's name changed to Sarah, and then uh, if we read down in verse 15 and 17, so Genesis 17, I want us to turn there together. Head down to verse 15. It says this, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her, and I will bless her, and she shall become <clears throat> nations. Kings of people shall come from her. So they tried to do it on their own strength, but God comes back, and look at his redemption. He's speaking a better word over them. We see her striving in 16. They try and get it by their own strength, but now God is reintroducing this covenant to them. Abraham thought, you know, imagine God didn't really speak to, to the Ishmael scenario for a while, but now God's coming back on the scene and he says, yeah, Ishmael's great, but Isaac is the one. And then they laugh at God, you know? It's really interesting. Uh, they, when, when God says, hey, I'm gonna give you a son, Abraham and Sarai, they laugh, but then if you look at the narrative, the name Isaac means he laughs, and so that's kind of a play on words of the author, but it's actually really interesting. They laugh at God, but the fact that Isaac eventually comes shows that their faith grew. Their faith wavered. Now their faith is growing, and we're talking about becoming people that God has called us to be today. So that's where we're at. We're talking about a journey of faith. So Abraham was probably a little shocked. How many of you ever thought to yourself, I didn't think this is the way it was gonna go? Yeah, does that resonate? You just think back to your life, this is not what I planned. Or maybe, and it's for really good, or maybe for bad. I know I've thought that before, and it's real. A lot of times that's true, but it doesn't nullify God's goodness. And though the things that happen to us are, that are sometimes they're less than desirable, my encouragement is this, that God uses it and works it all for good. The Father's heart is good towards you, but we live in a broken world. And so I think one of the grounds of which we release anger towards God is recognizing that not everything bad is necessarily his hand saying that was me. But God does use what happens in our lives for good and he molds it, right? His love is for us. And he uses the brokenness. So Abram and Sarai mess up. And how many of you struggle to let your struggles define who you are? It's so easy to feel like this is me. This is who I am. And if we don't let go of our old mindsets, we can remain stuck in the same mess, the same thing over and over again. Rather than letting what you did or what was done to you define you, God wants to define you. It's when we recognize the Father's love that we're freed up to live. We are freed to be the people that God has called us to be when we receive his love. When we are not defined by our failure of the past and we identify with what God says in the present, it allows us to move forward into what he has for us in the future. It's, it's that classic mindset of letting go and letting and moving forward. And it's hard, but it's real. Abraham and Sarai, they had to, they had to say no. Yeah, we, we messed up in 16, but now God's calling them to move forward and he has a plan for them. So God doesn't just remove the shame by being the God who sees, but he replaces the lies with identity. At the doorway of our experiences, we find the choice to either let lies define us about ourselves or the truth about God define us and who he is. Experiences are like doorways, opportunities, and they write narratives within your heart. 
oh, I got rejected. I am, I am a rejected person. And I walk around carrying rejection throughout my life and what fills, spills. And so we spill out of that place. So it's really interesting. We can, there's a narrative that we have in our heads. And I was reading a leadership journal once in college and I was talking with one of my mentors and he, he was saying how it's not necessarily what happens to you, but the narrative that you write about what happens to you. What happens to us absolutely matters. I'm not nullifying experience and the pain of experience. I get it. I've been there. But the reality is that we can either write a narrative in our minds. What are we, what are we, what's the story in our heads based off what we've gone through? I'm not rejected. It just means I am God's son. I am God's loved child. It just means it didn't happen there and it may happen somewhere else. If I didn't get the job or if I didn't get this opportunity, it's not a statement about who you are. It just means it didn't happen there, right? It's a different mindset. So sometimes we're defined by what we don't have. But Sarah's name is changed into completeness with the letter H at the end. This is a completed name. She didn't have a son yet, but God called her princess. That's what her name means, by the way. Sarah, it's a beautiful name. And I think it's really interesting. God called her into completeness, even though she didn't have her son yet. God spoke a word over her. So they receive new names, and this changes everything. And now in Christ... We have received a new identity, and knowing this identity is absolutely critical if we desire to grow. We can read our Bibles, we can go, we can serve in all these things for years, but eventually, if we never know who we are in Christ, it's going to be really challenging to move forward. I know this in personal experience, and, and it's, a, it's a constant battle in, this, in, in, a, in a growing point. So knowing this is absolutely critical so reeling it back, knowing our identity helps us walk into our destiny. And when I say destiny, I just think this word is worthy of some definition today. When I say destiny, I think if we look at the scriptures, if we look at the canon of God's word, basically what the Bible, there's a value to who we're becoming, the person that you become, and the things that you do. There's this constant thing. God speaks identity and truth over us, and then there's things that he's called us to do. So when I say destiny, I believe that the scriptures, like destiny is you becoming the person that God's called you to be, and then it's doing the things that he's called you to do, and they're not separate. You live out of who you are in Christ. They're connected. There's a really good book called Garden City by John Mark Comer, and he draws this connection between who we are and what we do and how they're not separate, but they're connected. They're interconnected. So don't separate what you're called to and to who you are as a person. God wants to use you, and as you step into your identity, I believe that God wants to reveal what he's called us to, right? I believe we have calling. You know, we're not just walking around doing anything. God has calling for us. So how many of you have tried to change but found yourself in the same place again and again and again? I know I can resonate with that. A lot of times we want to change, and we begin by looking at the outward goals, but we miss, and we focus on the tangible, what I can control, and we neglect the internal. So we're focusing on, on the outward things, but we're missing the internal thing. And in his book, Atomic Habits, James Clear dives into the connection between identity and habits. And I think it's really interesting. He describes the three levels of change. Outcomes, this is about changing results. And then number two is the process. These are the systems that you have in place. And then number three is changing your identity. And this is the third and deepest level of change. So there's three, there's three levels of change. And he talks about them and how we oftentimes try to change the wrong thing. We go for the fruit, but we miss the root. 
We go for the fruit, but we miss the root. And the root is the beliefs that we have about ourselves. If we believe that we will always be a late person, chances are we're gonna continue to be late, right? It, is a, it truly is a habit you can change, but it's the underlying belief, it's the root within that. And we have to uproot the roots so that new seeds can be planted, God's word and the Holy Spirit and community will come in and then change is gonna happen, but it takes time. And so there's a, there's a process to this. And he writes this, quote, behavior that is incongruent with self will not last. You may want more money, but if your identity is someone who consumes rather than creates, you'll continue to be pulled towards spending rather than earning. You may want better health, but if you continue to prioritize comfort over accomplishment, you may be drawn to relaxing rather than training. It's hard to change your habits if you never change the underlying beliefs that led to your past behavior. This is so real. I can only tell you this is true from experience, that the beliefs that I have about myself and others will change how I act and how I live. And the whole thing is, how are we becoming the people that God has called us to be? Okay, let's start with the root. What are the lies we believe about ourselves? And how do we reject them and insert truth? I've been in so many conversations where people say, I'm just, I'm just so lazy, I just can't. I'm like, oh, inside, I just, something doesn't sit well. And it's no condemnation or shame. If I've said those things before too. It's okay, but something in my spirit doesn't sit right because I believe that they're making a statement about who they are. And the more you say it, the more you believe that truth, eventually it's just gonna live out. This isn't name it and claim it. This is truth and lies. This is not name it and claim it. This is just truth in Christ. And it starts with the, the foundation. So how many of you have said things like, I'm a scattered person, I'm not organized, I'm not good with people, I always mess up here, I'm a failure, it's so real, right? The things that go through our heads. Maybe you don't struggle with that. That's great. Let me know. Let's talk. <laughs> Just kidding. No, we all have our things. But the reality is, those are identity statements. I am, I am, I am. I just can't do this well. And sure, some of us have strengths. Some of us have weaknesses. But the goal is, are those things defining us? And if God values change, right? The Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. These are, different, these are different things in the scriptures. So if becoming a person of love is the goal, and if we are in a journey, then change is absolutely key. John Mark Comer says this, the things we do do something to us. This is on habits. It's one thing to say I have ADHD. It's another thing to say I let that define me. That is who I am at the core. And it's, no, it's not nullifying the struggle at all, but it's just redefining who are we really, a child of God and Christ, accepted and loved, and yeah, I have this. I have this struggle. They're all identity statements, and although they may tell of what was, the more you believe them, we live in it. And the outcome, I, I talked about the three levels of change, and the outcome-based is by changing everything on the outside. I'm gonna eat less. I'm gonna work out more. But starting at the root, I am going to be a healthy person, or I am a healthy person, and then you change. Again, this is an example, right? I'm getting into it. This is identity. And the process of spiritual growth and formation happens over time that, with the intent that you and I become people of love, the formation of the soul. <laughs> the process happens over time. It is a total process. It is not, some moments are really interesting where we have God move in one moment, and then other times it takes time certain things in our life, it doesn't always happen at once. Again, it's not name it, claim it. Ah, uh, this is gonna happen, this, therefore this is gonna happen, but it's believing truth about who you are, right? Believing I can change and I can grow. 
I can be on time. I can be organized. I can reach out to people. I can be intentional. Oh, I'm just not so intentional. Okay, it's good to realize the problem, but don't stay there. God has more for you. What are you believing about yourself? So let's think about Jesus, for example. Uh, The root of identity is found in the Father's voice. In Matthew chapter four, there's this place where Jesus is baptized and the, the spirit comes down and descends on him like a dove. And then it says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The Father's voice formed Jesus before he ever stepped out and fulfilled his calling. Think about that. Identity came from the Father before Jesus ever did anything, before he healed anybody. And think about it, Jesus disappointed a lot of people. And if we are to stand for anything, especially as followers of Jesus, we have to be ready for disappointing people. And it's hard for the people pleasers in the room. I get it. It's a real struggle. But the beauty of this is this. Jesus received God's love and pleasure. And when he had that, he was able to live from that place and everything he did would flow from the Father's love for him. It was a beautiful in and out. So the issue is that other voices do exist. John 8, 44 says this. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and some Jews. They're causing a lot of ruckus. Just listen to these words. Jesus says this, you are, um, you are of the father, the devil, and your will is to do the father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks, he speaks lies out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Whew, sobering words. That is, that's literally the enemy. He is a father of lies. And if you look into the Greek word for Satan, it means adversary. Adversary to what? Adversary to God, God's ways, God's plans, and everything God has for your life. He is the adversary. And when you step into your calling and identity, chances are there will be more lies coming your way. The battle does get stronger, but guess what? With God, we are able to walk forward. We have the armor of God, Ephesians 6. So he's the father of lies. Abraham was on a journey And he received truth about who he is and eventually God brought about Isaac. So knowing our identity helps us grow into spiritual maturity. Knowing our identity helps us grow into spiritual maturity. It's not just how much we read of the word, which is so important, right? Being committed in all these areas, but I'm telling you that, you know, as we read the word, the goal is not just information, but transformation, and not just transformation, but a change in the way we see ourselves and the way we see God. Because when the, the enemy, I think, is after two things. He really goes after who we are as people. If you make a mistake, you, you, you're a mistake. You, you are a mistake. A lot of times the enemy will say that. He'll say things about you. Um, and maybe you haven't experienced that. That's okay. But we, it's so easy. He'll slip lies into our hearts like you're, you're, you're alone. You're not alone. That's one that comes to me sometimes. You're alone. Oh, it's, it's so bad because then I remind myself the Holy Spirit is with me. I am not alone. I will never be alone. Jesus said I will never leave you or forsake you. It's beautiful. So this is the last point. I would write it down. Knowing your identity helps us grow into spiritual maturity. The reality is that we are in a continual journey into maturity. We call this spiritual formation. Just like a, a pot and you have the clay and you have the, the, the one who's making the pot and they, they move their hands around it and it becomes a beautiful thing. And eventually it holds flowers and it's a beautiful illustration of God forming us. And I just thought of that just now. 
like the, eventually you make a beautiful flower pot not just to sit there, but to hold something beautiful and its flowers. And, and just for the analogy's sake, we are being formed to carry his presence. You and I are not meant to just walk around insignificant. There is significance. Ephesians 2, I believe 22 says this, in him we are being made into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. You and I are temples, and says in First uh, and Second Corinthians, temples that carry his presence, and when you carry his presence, you're able to walk in that. And in fact, that's an identity statement too. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. If you realize who you're carrying, it changes how you live. You're carrying God's presence everywhere you go. This is, this is just mind-blowing. If you actually let it rattle your mind, God's, God's presence used to live in a tent, but now it lives inside of you. It used to be in the tabernacle, and if you went near it, it's like the sun. You would die. The sun is amazing. This is from the Bible Project, by the way. The sun is like God's presence. It, it shines down and brings light to everything, but if, if you get close to it, you die. <laughs> it's crazy. If you read in the, in the scriptures, there are moments where people get too close or they touch the, the Ark of the Covenant and stuff, and things happen. This is God's glory. So Romans 4, as we continue on, we're about to close up here. But Romans 4, 19 through 21 says this, and this is reflecting on Abraham and Sarah. And this is the Apostle Paul, and I think it's really interesting for us to know that the scriptures really interpret each other. They're, they're in connection. They're in, you know, every time we look at the word, one of my favorite things about studying the Bible, and, and this, trust me, this hits home, when you study something, there are other parts in the Bible that talk about the very same thing of manuscripts that were written thousands of years apart. It's so interesting. God is at work, so you can trust this. You can, you can have confidence. So it says this, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding of the promise of God, but was strengthened, and as he gave, and in, in, in his faith, he gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do the thing that he had promised. So there was a little bit of, uh, of messing up in 16, but eventually he grew, and that's the heart. I'm talking about spiritual maturity right now, and he believed what God said about him was true. They struggled in 16, but eventually they did trust God, right? So there's a process, right? We're talking about maturity in Christ, and we, we trust the promises, and then we fall short, and we don't. He was strengthened in his faith. And the question is, whose voice are you listening to? That we have a, a plethora of information out there in culture. You can read a blog of, and about anything you want, and you can get information, right? Where do you go to get information about who you are? Just a thought. Jesus received his identity from the Father, and the root of identity is found in the Father's voice. And voices are formative, and they shape the soul more than I think you and I would like to admit. Voices that when we were 12, if our dad or mom said something to us, or a coach, or maybe a friend, that you're always going to be this way. Oh, just, or they make comments about you, or maybe you got made fun of, right? Those things form us, and maybe you've walked away from those, those lies, but they're so real, and we can live from those lies when we're 30. We can live from those lies when we're 20. We can live from those lies when we're 80, and we're still living out of that wound that I just can't do this well. I'm never gonna get through this. Hear me out. The struggle is real, but God has more for us as we become the people he's called us to be. Again, God didn't walk away when Abraham wavered. He held true to the promise and eventually fulfilled it. If you've wavered, I have hope for you today. If you've had doubt, I have hope for you today that God is committed to you. He, he is faithful. 
And we bring those doubts to him, but we don't stay there. And we need to grow strong in the truth, the truth of who God says he is. Remember, El Shaddai, I am God Almighty. And then he changes Abraham's name. This is who you are. So it's, it's, a, it's a process, right? God reveals himself and out of himself comes Abraham's new identity. Jesus Christ reveals himself to us on the cross and then now out of that we get to live in his, in his heart. Think about that in the gospel. Jesus reveals himself, he sheds his blood, he reveals, right, the greatest way we know, Jesus, know God is through Jesus and the Holy Spirit's favorite subject is Jesus and so now as we learn about who Jesus is, it changes who we are. And when we know who we are, it empowers us to do what we're called to do. When we know who we are, it empowers us to do what we're called to do. The grounds for spiritual formation in the life of the follower of Jesus is coming into alignment with their true identity in Christ. It's a grounds for change. Grounds for change meaning, you know, we, we step into this new thing, this new identity. And that's, that's where change is gonna happen. Or if we're, we're, we're sitting over here, I'm gonna keep doing everything I do for God, but I'm never ever gonna step into alignment. And when we're aligned with his heart, he leads us into an assignment. He leads us into what he wants. It's a a process. And this is tied to the gospel. God rewrote history through his sacrifice on the cross that our sins, our sins are paid for. The New Testament talks about our identity as being in Christ And the opening chapter of Ephesians is one long sentence in Greek about who we are in him. It's powerful. It's like a whole paragraph. We've been going through it in our Wednesday night community group, and it's it's so cool to see uh, see the text. And if you look at it, it's all one sentence. Paul's just going off about everything we have in Christ. He's to the praise of his glorious grace, the riches of his wonderful grace. We're redeemed by the blood, and just he goes on about all these things that we have. And it's interesting. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. This is Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west. Think about this is God rewriting history. Everything in our history says no, but God is saying everything is yes. The blood of Jesus is sufficient. Whenever we take communion, don't forget. Don't just sit in shame, but, but look at him and praise his name. Don't sit in shame, but look at him because his blood is sufficient. This is something I'm continually reminding myself. One day I was just thinking about the blood of Jesus and I thought, this is crazy. All I have to do is put my faith in one sacrifice and all of my sin is washed away. It's crazy, but it's true and it's freeing. The gospel is what transforms the human heart and it starts with recognizing the truth about who God says you are. That's the path forward. If you want to change, don't start with the fruit. We have to get to the root, and the root is the beliefs that we have about ourselves that are are out of alignment with God's truth. As we step into alignment, we're able to step into freedom. We talk about being intentional with the word and community and serving as a part of our apprenticeship to Jesus, but another part is to unravel the lies that have been planted in us through our own mistakes, be it our past experiences and struggles, et cetera. The list goes on. We dig up the root lies and we replace them with truth. We get down to there. We get down to the root of it. The library of the New Testament is written oftentimes in an indicative imperative form. What do I mean? Indicative is making a statement about something. It is a beautiful day. And now out of that idea that it's a beautiful day, now go. Go live with joy, right? It's the indicative. You are in Christ. Now you've been called to do good things. It's the, Paul, you know, Paul is always saying he calls us to step into truth but it's beautiful. He doesn't just call us 
to something, but he says who you are. So we go back to James Clear in Atomic Habits. It's that idea that as we change who we are, the deepest level of change is identity. We can try and change all the outward things, the fruit, but when we get to the root of our beliefs, then we're able to change and fruit comes out of that place. John 15, abiding in the presence of Jesus. It will state something true about you and then you call to live in that truth. Ephesians 4.22 says this. I want you to turn there with me. Ephesians 2.22. It says this, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Super powerful. To put off your old self and to put on the new. Paul contrasts the new self and the old self. One is at war with the other. The path forward is to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and then to step into what God has called us to do. And I think when we take one identity off, it makes space to put another one on. You know, I kind of thought this morning, it's like this. You know, I'm taking off this jacket, taking off my jean jacket, and I have it right here. There's my old identity, my past, and now it's kind of like putting a new one on. I have room for a new, a new thing. So I take off the old thing, and then now I have a new jacket. I have place. I have space. So this is a reality for us as followers of Jesus, is to come into alignment with our true identity. And the reason I do that is because Paul says, put it on. It's like a jacket. You wear it, and it's truth. So the grounds for change in the life of the Christian is to come into their true identity. When you know what God says about you, it helps you step into God's plans for you. So to end, I've, I just wanna share and say that I've been through this in a really real way. Rejecting lies and putting on truth. And it's a process. I've, I've, I've had victory in it, and then I've also, it, it's a battle, it's a struggle to believe truth about yourself and not to falter at the lies. And it's challenging, but I want to encourage you that it is a process. So I would encourage you today with everything we've talked about, if you really want to get this home, I would reflect and think about what are the lies that you've believed about yourself and who you are. And then we step into what God has called us to be. And if you're looking for something really tangible, I would say this. Look into the book of Ephesians. Read through it. It's an amazing letter. It's so transformative. God wants to redeem you and he wants to set you free. He wants to lead you into him and what he says about you, right? Let's step into that together and yeah, let's close in prayer. God, I just thank you for your uh, word. Thank you that you are with us. Thank you, God, that you've called us to be uh, sons and daughters. Before we're ever called to serve or do anything, God, you've called us sons. And uh, I just pray for that revelation today to become real in our hearts, God. Help us to believe in the truth. Help us to be uh, open to what you want for us, God. We lay down everything to you, and we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your grace. Holy Spirit, there, there are so many nuggets. Lord, help us to take one today and run with it. Thank you for forming us into the people that you have called us to be. And I pray, God, in worship that we be reminded that you are the God who transforms that you are the God who actually takes the dead things and you bring back to life, Lord. Reveal how you want to do that today. And uh, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys are so loved. 
Have a great rest of the Sunday. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Maple Grove podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world. You can be a part of the Mosaic Tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, my friends.